Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 304 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. Today's episode brought to you by our new partners, Right Now Media and Married People. Make sure you hang on to see. They've got some pretty cool things in store for you. Also, we have an Ask Kerry at the end of this show, and uh, we got a great question uh, this week. We've got Jay who says, what are the most significant tensions, status quo versus strategic change, traction versus innovation that organizations, churches must face moving forward? Great question. I've got uh, an answer I'm kind of intrigued by and also a free download for you at the end of the podcast. So listen all the way to the end. And then uh, my good friend, Chris Lemma is my guest today. Chris and I have known each other for almost, I guess, the better part of a decade. He is one of the reasons, for those of you who read my blog, he designed the whole infrastructure behind my website and has just uh, come on board as part of a, a team member over the last decade. And uh, he's somebody who got his start in the 90s in technology in Silicon Valley. And so we talk all about how to get traction online, what really matters, what really doesn't in your platform. Chris is a public speaker, a blogger, a WordPress and WooCommerce evangelist. He's a vice president of Liquid Web. He's also the creator of one of the most innovative conferences for WordPress professionals in Cabo St. Lucas, Cabo Press. And uh, for those of you who uh, are in the WordPress community, Chris is pretty much a household name. So uh, really, really excited to have him on the show today. And uh, really excited about our new partnerships too. Uh, I know you're probably always looking for content. I'm looking for content. Have you yet checked out Right Now Media? They've been dominating in their field now for a few years. And if you're looking for anything from personal care resources to leadership training for you and your team, uh, they are helping already more than 20,000 businesses, schools, churches, and organizations who subscribe to Right Now Media's streaming platform. And what happens when you subscribe, it's kind of like Netflix, you get access to tens of thousands of videos anytime, anywhere. So that includes resources produced by past podcast guests like Henry Cloud, Patrick Lencioni, J.D. Greer, Francis Chan, and Voskamp. And uh, everybody gets access for free once you subscribe as an organization. So they've even got a free trial. And here's how you can access it. Go to rightnowmedia.org forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. And that's where you'll find a free trial. So if you're not sure, just check them out, subscribe to your free trial and kind of go from there. And then one of the most important investments you can make as a church is in the marriages in your congregation. I know uh, my wife worked in family law for a number of years. And one of the reasons she's working on the book she's working on right now is by the time it gets to a lawyer's office, it's almost too late. And if you can get in on the solution side, if you can get into the side where you just help couples through some difficult times, man, you can make a huge difference. And that changes like the trajectory for generations. And, uh, you know, there was a, a survey done. So why do most churches not do marriage ministry particularly well? Well, in 2010, a study on marriage ministry found people said, well, honestly, it's preachy, boring, outdated, and feminine. And that's not really a shocker, but that's why you need to check out 
married people. Married people is the marriage division of Orange Rethink, people that I've worked with for over a decade. I've known Ted Lowe, who runs married people. And it's kind of marriage ministry 2.0, marriage ministry that actually works in today's culture. Everything they do is relevant, professional, helpful, and they flip the old model upside down. Even better is they have everything you need to start a marriage ministry from scratch. And it's so simple and done for you, you can hand it to a volunteer. You don't even need staff. So here's what you can do. They've got a special offer because you're a podcast listener. If you go to marriedpeople.org forward slash carry, you'll get 30% off the annual marriage ministry resource bundle that gives you everything you need to create an entire year of marriage ministry. So it really is marriage ministry re-engineered in the best way. So if you're passionate about families and marriages and the next generation, go to marriedpeople.org forward slash carry. I think you'll be really, really glad you did. Well, without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with my good friend, a WordPress entrepreneur, a guy who has really made a difference in the tech community, Chris Lemma. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here. It's fun to be in your hometown. It is. It's great to have you here. Yeah, which is, by the way, for the record, San Diego. That's right. <laughs> so way back on episode 39, you gave a masterclass on building high-performance teams, which we will link to because that was like the first year of the podcast, right? It was, yep. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. You've also been heavily involved in the WordPress community uh, for a decade and a half. So... Um, Let's can you give us a quick bio, like some of the things that you've done in the tech world? Yeah, so I worked at a government research lab uh, in 1993, 94, 95, 96 when we brought the internet to the world. So, literally, when, literally, so one of my first projects was working on a project where we multicast enabled routers, which meant video could stream over the internet. I still remember the first time I saw video playing on a computer. I'm like, what? It was like TV and computers fused. It was the weirdest thing. It, it's crazy. And so it was the mid-90s. Yeah. So I, I started that. I, I worked on that project and I worked at a government research lab. We built the first online courseware. In those days, it was uh, computer-based training with, with CDs and specialized computers. And we built, I worked with a company uh, called Macromedia to mm. develop something called Flash, uh, while I was at Flash, you helped develop Flash. While I was at Berkeley Labs, so we were doing this, you know, collaborative thing, and we got, uh, we built at Berkeley Lab, we built the first online courseware, which then a couple years later we introduced to a small company that became Blackboard, Blackboard, which is the the leader in uh, LMSs, learning management systems. Hmm. Um, so we built the first version of that on online. And uh, from there, I went and started several software companies and uh, sold most of them and got married and worked in a Toronto-based technology company for eight, nine years uh, because Melissa wanted me out of the startup game. Mm-hmm. I went back and did another little startup. And now I work at a hosting company, Liquid Web, where we've built a new managed WooCommerce offering, which allows people to do e-commerce like you would with Shopify, but uh, on a open source platform that you have far more control over. So it's been a long run. And unlike, uh, people who wanted to be a travel agent or a wedding photographer, my job didn't get disenfranchised and didn't get diminished without my doing. It just took over the world. Like I, we had no idea that software as a service, that online applications and the web 
would grow to take over every space in the world, but you can't book a trip. You can't do banking. You can't, uh, visit online church. You can't do anything without the internet and the web today. And I've just been doing it for a really long time. You and I have known each other for almost a decade, which has been great, and we've worked together. So if you've ever taken one of my courses or read my blog, Chris is the architect behind so much of that. But we've never really talked about those early days of the internet. So take us back to 1993 to 1996. What was it? What was it like to be like pioneering on video? Like, what was? What was? Where did people think this was going? Did so, anybody have so any no, idea? So no one had any idea, right? No. Like, like Yahoo wasn't Yahoo. It was Jerry's Links, and we would go Jerry's and, Links, seriously? and we would yeah, it was one page, and it had a set of links, and we could send links, right? So we would build a new site, and then we would send a link, and Jerry would put it on the, the page. It was all manually done. There were no. And who bots. was that? Remind me who started. Uh, Jerry, Jerry was one of the original Yahoo. Yeah, guys, yeah, but I'm right? trying to remember his. He last was the name. founder. Jerry. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. Yang Zhang Chinese, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing, right? Uh, and it was all automated. When Alta Vista came out and Excite and, some, and uh, several others, they were bot-driven or computer-driven, right? So the first time I wanted to buy a spider, I wanted to buy an engine that would browse the internet and make a copy so that I could create an index of the internet. Like a spider, just, you mean just, like it's a it's a it's web. a piece of software. Yeah. But just think, there was a point in time where I thought I could have an index of all the websites in the world on a local computer, right? That's crazy. And I called the guys at AltaVista and I said, you sell the spider, you know, I'm from Berkeley Lab, I want to buy a spider. And they go, yeah. And I said, how much is it? And the guy said, a buck 50. And I knew that it couldn't be a dollar and 50 cents, but I had no idea so is that $150,000? Yeah, is that, is that $150,000? <laughs> is that $150,000? And I'm a 25-year-old kid, right? Yeah, I have yeah. no clue. And I'm like, uh, you don't mean $1.50. He goes, no, it's $1,500. And I go, oh, okay, well, I want to buy that so you can ship me. So we bought this spider and we started indexing the internet, right? So that we could build some other software that we would sit on top of that. It, it, nobody knew. Nobody knew anything. Right. And uh, we built some of the first systems that connected to databases. Right. Uh, at that time, people were putting like catalogs online, all static content. Right. And we were building dynamic stuff, things that would change. I worked with companies like Microsoft and Borland and IBM because I was at the government research lab. So they would call us and say, what's your take on this? And how do you think about this? I worked with venture capitalists to help evaluate whether that company or this other company should get funding and what they're doing on the internet. Uh, it was crazy days. We also worked 10, 20 hours a day without blinking because it was fun. We were, hmm. we were just doing things that people thought couldn't be done. And on top of which we were doing, so it was fun to keep trying. Um, and then you'd get little bugs in software that you couldn't track down and nobody had told you how to track it down because nobody had stepped in that space. And so then we'd be there for three days and thank God Berkeley Lab had a shower. Um, but it was like, we're just not going home till we figure this out. Right. Wow. So, so where, take us into the mind of 25 year old Chris programming all this stuff. Where did you at that time think it was going? We honestly had no clue we thought about it as, could we build business software? At the, uh, I, was, I was a precocious 25, 26-year-old. Could I build business software in a browser rather than the way we delivered software at the time? At the time, yeah. you installed software on every computer, which meant if you wanted- It was still wanted, floppy disks, yeah, wasn't if it? If you wanted to change software, 
you had to go to every computer and change it, right? Yeah. And if you happened, you were running Windows at the time and you put a floppy disk in to update software, if the current device drivers, the little bits of software that go with the, the software to work with the hardware, if those DLLs were in use at the time, then you couldn't replace them with the ones you were doing. So then you'd get into this nightmare where the software was kind of updated, but not really updated. So we had this idea, like, couldn't we build web software? And more than one venture capitalist, more than one technologist who were like known in their space would say stupid things like, you can't build an office inside an elevator. And and what they meant was, right, you, you can't build what is software inside a browser that oh, browser yeah. browser has no it's connectivity, right? So they're like, you can't do that. And we were young enough and dumb enough to go, I think we can. And so we did. We started building web-based applications in, in 1996, 97, uh, 98. And those things, that's how I left the lab was one of the venture capitalists and one of the startup companies came over and said, just bring that out and let's go build this for a real company and make a lot of money. Um, because we had demonstrated you could build applications in a browser. What was that first um, uh, we built a ta We built a task management system mm -hmm. for distributed teams uh, particularly software engineers that was process oriented. And we sold my first clients, which again, it's crazy. Now you mm. think about it. My first client was, uh, bank of America. And my mm. second client was shared medical systems. We built software that I spent, you know, a small team of three or four of us spent a lot of time on, uh, over several weeks. And then we sold it for $350,000. And you're like, what just happened? Like that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Right. And then we sold it again to shared medical systems. We sold it again to another. And then a company wanted to come buy us. And we're like, yes, sell, sell now. Like, so you, you, we you did. We sold the company. Buyout. You sold, we the company. sold the first one. And we built another piece of software that was for wireless, uh, selling wireless, uh, plans to companies, all, all business to business. And, uh, we built that up in a year and a half. And then another telecommunications company came over and said, we want to buy it. So we sold that one. And then we started and we just kept doing it. We can't, like, Serial there's, entrepreneurship. There's just, one after another where people said there's like when we built that telecommunications expense management, the term mm -hmm. telecommunications expense management didn't exist. Mm -hmm. We had to spend a lot of time with Gartner, the industry analysts to suggest that it should exist because it used to be done by people. And now we had built software that automatically did it. Right. And we built all these bots and automations that would find and track expenses and analyze them and determine that something. It's almost like a precursor to Expensify yeah, or yeah, that but, kind of but thing. more complicated because it was tapped into your AT&T telco bill, not someone's oh, expense wow. report. So we had customers like AMD, uh, Intel, Hilton, where they had a million dollar telco bill a month, right? And then we were analyzing it to go, oh, AT&T charged you 200,000 for something that you shouldn't have been charged, right? We were building the bots that analyze this, right? So every time we did something, they said, no, you can't do it. And that when you're young, you're like, I'll show you. And we did it. And then we would, we, because we had done enough in that early round, we would do discovery and figure out things. We could then sell the company to someone bigger who said, I value the, the work you've done. I value the R and D you've done. I value the customer development that you've done. So I'll just buy it and take it from there rather than them trying to do it. Right. So we did that several times in a row and it was a lot of fun. Wow. So you're talking to pretty much all of the leaders listening will have some kind of web presence, whether that is a personal Instagram or obviously Facebook or that kind of thing or TikTok. But obviously a, a lot of leaders, because the leadership podcasts are trying to get a voice on the web, try to show up. So you and I have tracked for the last decade. What has changed over the last decade 
in getting a message out online. You helped me build my first blog back when it was a few thousand a month, you know, not, not a half million. Yeah. And it's changed dramatically. Right. Mm. And so what we would have said five years ago, like, just do this and it'll work right to today. It's, it's very different. So what we know is that Facebook has their own agenda for what they're going to surface, right? What articles they're going to bring to light. Yeah. And that surfacing algorithm is tied to how they're generating revenue, not being just gen- generous to every person who writes, you know, yeah. and shows it. In fact, not only do they have a surfing, surfacing algorithm, you have to pay to get your content, you know, to surface right. on if greater you're an organization. If you want your content to show up on more people, even people who have liked you, right? You end up having to pay to promote the post to get broader uh, viewership. So those avenues, places where you do Facebook ads or pr- Facebook promotions or anything else, those have all changed the nature of discovery, right? Uh, Google and YouTube continue to be the main dynamic for discovery, but they have also changed, right? So how you write, how you title, uh, how often and how consistent you write, those things used to be things that you were like, oh, kind of important. Now they're paramount. Um, a, a pastor, a pastor or a leader, a technology leader, a, a, a church leader, a, any kind of leader can't just write a post and expect it to go viral. Right. Is it harder now than it was five years ago? Yes. I thought, I yes. thought so because even with our content, we've had to switch strategies a number of yeah. different times to keep getting through to the people who want to hear from you. Yes. Right. It's not like they don't want to hear from you. If no, you trust they, Facebook or Instagram, they, they clicked them. because they wanted to hear from you yeah. and Facebook still holds it back. Right. Uh-huh. So, so, you know, publishing on your own website versus publishing somewhere else, right? What, what we saw over the last couple of years is we saw this dramatic thing that now has played out where Facebook told the world and they were wrong and they may have been intentionally or unintentionally lying, but Facebook told the world that the engagement they had on videos native to the Facebook platform was 900% more than YouTube. So what happened? Everybody shifted to Facebook. Turns out those weren't the real numbers. They weren't right at I all. I didn't know that. Yeah. So everybody left YouTube and went to Facebook to, to win at this, at this game, right? And whole websites, whole media sites who were growing on YouTube just disappeared off the face of the planet because it turned out those, like, like again, part of the thing is leaders, they have a gut instinct. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you, if let's say you posted something on Facebook and it said you had nine billion people look at it, you, you'd be like, that seems unreasonably high, right? Yeah, there aren't quite that there many aren't, people that, on yeah, the planet. Yeah, like I think we'd have to be terraforming other planets for this to make sense, <laughs> right? Um, yet what happened was, and this is this is true of most leaders, right? We have an incredible ability to lie to ourselves, hmm. right? So what happens is not 9 billion, but let's say you post a video on YouTube and you get 200 views and then you post it on Facebook and you get 2,000 and you think, yeah, I'm popular. Instead of, hold on a second, right? Is this really So was that happening? jacked? It was. It was, really? it was jacked and we it was wrong. That. We know now. We know that it was wrong, right? And yet what that meant was um, we, we have to hold all of those stats and data points with really loose fingers because they have their own agendas, whoever it is, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, right? So um, today it's harder than ever. It Still doesn't mean it's not um, impossible because the truth is there's a ton of content and most of it's not very good. Mm. So if you are consistent and you are producing quality content, you're not copying someone else. You're, you're bringing your voice to the world and you're bringing it consistently and it's, and it's good. Um, I think you can surface that up. 
Right. Interesting, because you and I started working together in 2012 when I wanted to start blogging. And in those days, the internet was pretty flat, Yep. right? Like v- content went viral yeah. because 100 people read it or 1,000 people read it or 100,000 people read it. And a, a lot of the reason I can even do this today is because back in 2012, 2014, when I launched this podcast, it was flatter and you could get your message out a lot easier. And now, I mean, I've gotten the most traffic I've ever had, but we've had to switch strategies. We've had to pivot numerous times. And in 2018, when Zuckerberg sort of announced to the world that, hey, Facebook has got too much company on it, too much content on it. We want to make it go back to the friends and family site. I saw my Facebook referral traffic drop 75 to 80% overnight. Yeah. And there were internet businesses, like Facebook businesses, that went out of business, yep. like literally in two months. They were yep. out of cash and out of this. So I switched to an email strategy because I had been building a list for a little while. And, you know, we're at all-time records and 40% growth year over year, blah, 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 whatever. But that is that is harder and harder to do all the time. And right now, I think I have an incumbent advantage in yep. that when you start with a half million or a million people, it's pretty easy to yeah. keep going with those million people if you can figure out how to find them. But talk to someone who wants to get the word out. You and I just did a breakout at a conference here in San Diego, and that was one of the questions. It's like, if I'm starting today, not in 2012, listeners want to start a podcast. Some people are publishing books. They want to get it out there. Other people are like, well, I want to be an influencer on Instagram, or um, we just actually want our sermons to get watched more or our website to get visited more. What are some tactics that you would advise the first timer or the person getting started to use today? So invariably, we are people who look left and we look right right? We look at what someone else is doing and you're going to end up trying to borrow someone else's strategies and tactics on your site. And my first recommendation is just don't do it. Just don't, right? Because uh, they don't have your audience. They don't have your downloads. They don't have it. So if they copy you, it's a, it's a recipe in not getting the same results and they get frustrated, right? Cause we just see, well, this is what Amazon does. I want to build a site like Amazon, or this is what Carrie's, you know, training does. I want to copy and you're like, well, it's not the same context, right? So the first thing you have to do is stop looking left and right, right? You're going to start where you are, start by building something small and start building it successfully. So the first thing is don't look left and right. The second thing is make it fast, hmm. right? Make it load fast, make it load lightning fast, right? So that means you're not going to go overkill on how beautiful it is. You're not going to go overkill on how big the photos are. You're not going to go overkill on anything, like all the JavaScript little add-ons that you want to do or the plugins you want to introduce, don't do it, right? Because you're trying to add little things that make it more exciting. The chief driver to Google saying that you're customer friendly and now more so with mobile is how fast it takes to load up your site. You're talking load speed. I'm talking about 2.2 seconds. 2.2. If your site, the average site is loading in seven seconds. It's loading in seven seconds because they put all these super big photos on and it takes a while to bring them down, mm. right? So you start doing something and you're like, I want a beautiful blog and I want a fan, you know, really, and I want videos and I want that. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second, right? Find yourself a technology partner who can help you get down below two seconds. Because if it loads up in a second, Google will say, and especially if it loads up well for mobile in, in less than a second, Google will give you a good score and it will surface it online. If you're not being found by Google, you're not being found, period, right? Mm-hmm. So so the second thing is focus on performance. 
focus on it, get someone who can help you with that before anything else. The third thing, which you know, is the content is gotta be, now you can't, you can't tell someone the content's gotta be amazing, um, but also produce consistently because they're like, wait, no, it takes me six weeks to produce something amazing. And then Mm. I can only do that once every two months. And you're like, no, 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 it doesn't have to be six weeks. Good. It has to be, you know, half a week. Good. But if it's half a week, good it's two posts a, a week, every week for the next 50 weeks. Right. Well, some of that going back to the nineties, like that entrepreneurship that got you and your 20 something friends saying, I think we can build this. I'm sure that wasn't the most perfect software in the history of humanity. Nope. Right. No. In lots of cases, it was the cheap version of what an enterprise company would do. We just, we just cut corners. You were young, you were hungry. We cut corners and we just said, we're going to prove that it's possible. And a lot of times what, uh, what we attracted in terms of people who bought our companies, we attracted visionaries who saw a V1 and extrapolated what a V10 was, right? And my particular background wasn't that I was the greatest programmer. I wasn't the most amazing developer, but I'm a storyteller. You are. So I would craft the story into the product. And I would say, if you've had trouble with this, if you struggle with this, if you've done this, people said this couldn't be done, here it is. And they went, oh my God, you've done that, which means you could probably do, and they would list all the things they saw. And we go, yes, eventually, not yet, but eventually. And they go, okay, I'm going to buy the whole company, right? We embedded the story into the product, right? But we didn't build the whole thing. We didn't build the version 10 that we wanted. We built the version one that we were embarrassed of, but we got it out the door. And so you, you gotta, you gotta not look left and right. You gotta focus on performance. You gotta create quality content, useful content, and you gotta just hit publish. You gotta get it out the door Hmm. because people, I know I have a buddy of mine who's an executive of a software company. He has 28 posts all in draft. He has two posts published. Oh man. That's a useless website. Yeah. I love my friend, but it's a useless website. It'll never be found by Google. It'll never be found by anyone until his mom looks at it, right? When he posts that link on Facebook, he'll get a couple people to click a link and that's it. But he has 28 posts that are in draft because I want to make it a little better. I want to make it a little better. And you and I both know, right? Waiting to make it a little better, it'll never get published. Yeah. You just Perfectionism gotta- is the enemy of progress. Yep. How do you know when it's good enough or not good enough? That is something so many leaders struggle with because I think we do live in an age where design is so important and where everyone's like, oh, we can make it better. We can make it better. How do you, I, I'm a believer, as you know, because we work together on minimum viable product, but where is that line? So I always use Wikipedia as a reference. Yeah. Every person I know has looked up stuff on Wikipedia. Nobody I know has ever said, Wikipedia would be so much better if it had a blue border, a left navigation, <laughs> uh, images in the thing. You're like, it's no. It's kind of ugly, isn't it's it? It's ugly and it's lightweight, but it loads up fast and it gives you answers, right? So my general take to people is um, build it like Wikipedia. Build it lightweight, build it fast, build it useful. If you're helpful, you're going to be in a good spot right? Mm. You're going to be in a good spot. So if you write sermons, right, which we've both lived in that world, um, there was a point in time where we were like, I have a six point sermon, right? And then eventually we got to a point where we were like, I have one main point. I may have some little flourish to it, but I have one main point. What I tell folks when they're writing a blog post is write one main point. You don't have to write Mm. the whole novel in the blog post. Write one useful point, put a little story around it, make sure people can connect to it and get the aha. And then if you have another one, you're like, oh, I could put it in here too. Write another post in three days. For another day. Yeah. Yeah. The internet is just going to keep accepting what you're writing. You don't have to write the novel on day one. And if you're doing video, 
I mean, people are like, I got to buy an expensive kit. I've got, yeah. uh, like you've had Sean Cannell on here before, who I'm sure you know. What, what would you say for video? I would say start really simple. If you have a computer that you bought in the last couple of years, it has a webcam on it. Yeah. Uh, make sure that you have lighting. But the most important part to video is not video, it's audio. So spend a little bit of money on a microphone that actually works. Plug that microphone into your computer, hit record, right? And, and capture it. You don't have to get super fancy. You have to develop an audience. Yeah. The same way you were talking about like you're collecting this audience on the web and, and so mm. on your website... That goes in your email list. Then you can send an email to the email list that says, hey, I just published another YouTube video. Then you're not asking for Google or YouTube to surface you. You're sending it to your audience, right? They click on it, which drives that you know number of links and number of likes on the thing. And then that surfaces up higher. So collecting the email, building that list is critical, but also just publish, right? Just yeah. just get in the habit of publishing. People would say, how do you write every day? There was a period of three years where yeah, I wrote you every did. single you wrote day. every single day. And they go, how do you do it? And I go, well, I have conversations every day, right? Like it's not, I don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm, I've run out of words, right? So it's a discipline thing. Hmm. You get up and you write. I would tie that discipline of writing to a certain part of my day when I knew that, okay, I'd taken a nap, I'm freed up, but it's before dinner time. I have an hour and a half this is when I write. And I know that I'm not going to go into the, you know, the dining room and eat until this blog post is mm. done. And sometimes you're really hungry. You're like, uh, you're like I'm going to get this thing published. It may not be the best version of whatever I had, but I'm going to hit the publish button and I'm going to go back to dinner. And for me, for years, that was 6am before it became my day job. Yeah. You know, and on the minimal viable product too. I mean, here we are, I have my mobile recording set up. So I have a really good $500 microphone in my home studio. Um, this is a $79 microphone that I'm recording on. You're on a $79 microphone and the cables don't even match. And I'm recording into the laptop on really expensive software called GarageBand. <laughs> um, and you know what? Most listeners will have no idea yep. that. And we also have Toby, who's a great producer. Okay, that's good. What are some rookie mistakes people make in getting the word out when they want to get the word out online, whether that's video, audio, website, social? I, I think what ends up happening is people quit before the magic happens, right? Yes. They just, they're like, I published, I published a YouTube. Two people came. And no one came, Yeah. right? And so now I'm done with it. And you're like, none of us in our day jobs quit that soon. Mm -hmm. Right. In everything we do, we're like, okay, let me collect some feedback. Let me make it a little better. Let me tweak it. Let me get better and better. Right. And yet when it's something we don't understand this new technology space that maybe not every leader is, is comfortable with, they do once and then like, I'm out of here. Right. The other mistake that people make is they assume that every network is the same. LinkedIn, <sighs> Facebook, Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter, right? They're not the so you same. So use buffer, and you're like published to all. Published sites. to all. They're yeah. not the same. The messaging. So I have an Instagram account. Mm -hmm. My Instagram account, which I don't know if you've ever seen, it's ninety eight percent cigars. It's all cigars. Yes. That's oh, it's, it. oh, I was close. It's yeah. It's yeah. all cigars. Like I think maybe one photo on there is me and my family. Everything on my on that Instagram account is cigars. Why? Because. Cigars are photogenic, right? Like people, the people who I want to know what I'm smoking, that's where they go to look. I don't post that much of cigars on Facebook. Facebook mm. is family. Facebook is vacation. Twitter is where I talk about WordPress and startups and technology. And so different, and LinkedIn is where I publish, you know, long form research and, and content and even yeah. our podcast episode on e-commerce. 
Every one of the networks is different. They have different audiences. They interact differently. When you just do the, I put it somewhere and you don't understand the platform and you don't understand what makes the platform work, you're going to get easily frustrated and then you're going to quit, right? So, so don't quit, right? Keep pursuing it and understand that different platforms function different ways and have different audiences. And so your call to actions are going to be different and how you interact with them is going to be different. Um, and, and you just have to go into it knowing that. How is a call to action different on each platform? So, so for example, uh, I, I coach a buddy of mine who uh, had never used LinkedIn before. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want you to take, I want you to write, he, I gave him some topics. These, these are topics you should write on. I want you to write them on your website, right? Put the blog post on your website. Now I want you to take, uh, you know, 90% of that post. I want you to go put it in LinkedIn and I want you to write it natively in LinkedIn, natively. right? Natively in LinkedIn. Which and means you're cutting and pasting or you're, you're cutting you're and pasting into there. It's not like, Hey, I got this new post. No, Click. then you're putting most of the content there. And then you put in the end, right? The link that says, Hey, this was originally posted here. And to get the big aha or to get the big takeaway, click here, which then people would read. And the call to action was finish the article, right? Or, or read the rest. So then they'd go to the website. Well, on the website at the bottom of that website was a, do you want to work with us? Here's a form to fill out. And all of a sudden he's going, I'm getting leads from LinkedIn. I go, right. He goes, but I post the link to my blog post on Twitter and no one comes. And you're like, right. Cause people don't go to Twitter looking for someone to hire for what you do. But people go to LinkedIn looking, and that's why the topics that we put in LinkedIn were the topics that people would look for when they're looking to hire someone, which is different than the topics you put on Twitter, right? So you have to think through who's coming and what problems they're trying to solve when you publish and, and how you drive that call to action when you publish on different platforms. Yeah. And I find totally different audiences. I spoke at South by Southwest last year. I'll be back in 2020. If you're a 25-year-old male or a 30-year-old male entrepreneur, you're on LinkedIn. Yep. That's that's where you hang out. So it really depends on your audience too. It's, it's also it's also incredible for 48 to 65-year-old men. Ah, right? we're looking for that who, final who, job. It's amazing. Well, some or or they're looking they're the they're the owner of a company. Oh yeah, okay. And they're looking for a vendor. Mm. And it, because they, they they look at Facebook and they go that's for kids. Right? They look at Instagram, they they're not on it right? They look at Twitter and they go, I don't get it. It's just a bunch of yelling, right? You're talking to a 60-year-old executive who the only network he's ever been on is LinkedIn. And and you say to him, hey, we need to hire uh, a guy who does our Facebook ads. He doesn't go to Google. He doesn't go to uh, YouTube. He doesn't go to Facebook or Instagram. He Mm. goes to LinkedIn and he searches for this. And then here comes my buddy's article and he goes, oh yeah, contact this guy, right? Wow. It's a completely different ballgame. It's interesting because I think uh, Facebook is what, 70% women, Chris? Right. Thereabouts, I don't know. And and uh, if you're thinking about who to reach, even at your church, if you're a church leader, you're looking for men. Men tend to to use LinkedIn. Yeah. And most churches completely ignore it. Ignore it. Any advice for a church leader that wants to get started on LinkedIn? Do, like what would you put there? Don't ignore it. <laughs> don't ignore it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> don't yeah, ignore yeah. it. And And... Be helpful. But like dumping your sermons right? on there. No, dumping your sermons not going to help. helpful. Mm-mm. But be helpful. Think about if you were, if you walked into the the best example I could give you is let's say that you're going through an airport, right? So yep. most most leaders, executives fly a decent amount for their job. Yep. So you go great. You're in an airport and you walk into a United Club or an Admirals Club or a whatever you know the Deltas Club, right? You walk in that club, you sit down. There's a gentleman sitting next to you. 
What's the conversation you have with him, mm. right? You don't know each other. You're strangers, but you're both fly. You're both business people. You're both roughly in the same demographic. And you look at the guy and you're like, how's it going? Where are you flying to? What are you up to? Right? And then he says, what do you do? Yep. Right? Within the first two minutes. And when he says, what do you do? You likely don't say, I'm the CEO of company name. Like, mm. that's silly. Why would, You're like, no, this is what I do. This is how I help the world, right? So right after you say that, what does he do? He normally says something like, you know, I have a buddy of mine who needed something like this. Da, da, da. Mm -hmm. His question was blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, I can give you advice for your buddy. Take that content that you just were about to spew out, advice for your buddy, go and write the post inside of LinkedIn. And immediately you're going to see people who are like, oh, this is so helpful. This is good. Okay. How do I reach you? Because I need whatever it is you're offering. Right? It's a great thought. Yeah. And it's a totally different strategy that- that a lot of people are missing. Owners of local businesses, church leaders, et cetera, et cetera. Best practices that you see as we head into 2020 on social, you've hinted at a few already, but what- So what consistency, you, yeah. consistency yeah. is a big deal, but I would tell you that video uh, is coming up as a, uh, in the same way that, I mean, you got to write content for sure, but uh, it used to be that, that video was secondary because of who was going to look at it and because of the fact that all you could get was certain- uh, tags and certain URLs. But the truth is now machine learning is getting to a point where they can automatically create a transcript of a video. They can automatically tag it. They can automatically know what kind of content is in that video mm -hmm. and they can determine to surface it for certain kinds of people. So the fact that all of that is now possible means you probably need to start looking at a video strategy too. And what about content length? I mean, my perception, we talked about this uh, before we started recording, is that the middle is disappearing and that content is getting longer and shorter at the same time. Exactly right. Is that it? Exactly right. So yeah. do something in two minutes, do something in 20 minutes, and do something in two hours. But doing something in 40 minutes is never going to be helpful, right? So 40 and it's, minutes it's, may work at church, it, but it's it might, not going to work online. But it's not online. working in the rest of the world, yeah. right? And so... Uh, and, and I would tell you that it doesn't always work at church too, yeah, yeah. right? You better like, be good. There are people who are pulling up cell good. phones in the middle of your talk, right? Uh -huh. And you're like, oh, I guess it didn't work as well. But good 40 minutes could be awesome, right? But you look at the Joe Rogan po podcast, right? And how many people are listening for more than an hour? Two and a half hours. Yeah. And he posts like two or three times a week. Yeah. And it's the number one podcast in the world. Yeah. So- we know that people can go long. We also know that people have commutes, right? 13 minutes, 15 minutes. If you have a 20 minute podcast, they can hear it on their way to work, right? But nobody wants to do a, oh, I have an ebook length or I have a novel length podcast that I can almost get done, but not really get done. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at, no, forget it. I didn't hear it, right? So getting it under 20 minutes, um, also creating the two minute version, right? Right. Get the two-minute version on all the platforms, publishing wherever you want, and say, come get the rest, right, at, and bring them back to wherever you, you know. Almost you like IGTV, yeah. right? You, you mean, post a 60-second clip, 60-second yeah. clip, and then, and then flip over to IGTV. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you and I have done some courses together. So we have a lot of alumni here for the High Impact Leader Church Growth Masterclass high, um, or The Art of Better Preaching. So we've launched a few things together. Uh, Chris has also been the generous architect behind my blog. If you're one of the people who access my content, I want to talk about minimum viable product. So, so many people who are listening are leaders who are like, oh, one day I hope to do my own online course or launch my podcast. But Chris, it's 
got to be perfect. Like I need, first of all, thousands of dollars for production. I, I need like a killer design. I need all that. That's going to make me successful. Like what is a minimum viable product when it comes to launching your own? You need uh, a decent light, which could be a light bulb. <laughs> right? Because you, can, lamp, you right. can get you can get a light bulb and put a little diffuser on it and you can get a diffuser for next to nothing. So you need a light bulb, take the lampshade off and put, you know, put a, a, a little bit of diffuser on it so that it's not a glaring, you know, spot in your face. You need a light bulb, you need a clip-on mic that can run to your iPhone or to your computer. Uh, you need one, if not two cameras, right? But those cameras today can be iPhones. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't need to go buy fancy Sony gear, although I love Sony's alpha cameras and they do great video. Um, but you can do it with your iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you have a newer one, um, shoot the video, right? If you're like, but I don't know how to sync two video streams together, right? Right before you start, turn on wow. everything on, clap really loudly. That'll create a time signature that you can sync everything up to, but it, but that's it, right? You can shoot one video that is close to your face and one that is getting most of your body, you have two, just because we get bored, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just can, if you, once in video pre -pro, you know, post-process, if you can just jump between the two regularly, right? You're also going to want to put probably some notes of what you just said on the wide angle shot where you have some open space next to you, but that's it, right? You're literally talking about two iPhones, a clip on mic and a, a light bulb. You, that's not perfection, mm. right? What you need to make sure is that your content is helpful. If you make sure your content is top notch, the rest of the production is not that big a deal. And then you're going to need a technologist who cuts it up, puts it together and puts it into courseware of some sort, right? right? Which Online. you can outsource. Which you can outsource, right? And you can outsource the post-production as well, right? Most of the time, people want to build the best course ever. Mm. And they want to build the course that they took from someone else, right? So they went to Pat Flynn's or they went to Michael Hyatt's. They went, you know, let's say you go to my, and Michael Hyatt's awesome and you've interviewed him. You go to Platform University and you log in or you, Pat Flynn, you go in and you log in and you see these things and you're like, I want that. And you're mm. like, just to be clear, that was not Pat Flynn's V1. No. That was not Michael Hyatt's V1. So let's back up a second, right? Let's get you a V1. Just validate and if you help a hundred people with it, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And those hundred people will give you enough confidence to do a V2 or a V3, right? When we were launching your course, we did three successive launches over the course of several weeks. Mm -hmm. We did a launch for a week. We waited a few weeks. We did a second launch. We waited a few more weeks. We did a third launch. In each of those launches, we added more features, Yeah. right? But we didn't launch with all the features in the first one. Now, several years later, Right. When we go to launch, it has even more features and people are like, oh, look at all that. But that's not how we started. Right? Oh, no. We started with a we bare started minimum. With the most minimal. And, and we had things like, here's our onboarding. Like we routed people to an onboarding page after they bought and it just mm. said, here's what to do. And the bottom was just call us. Right. Because you're right, like, right. you're like, who knows if this is all going to work? And some things didn't work. Right. Right. And they called and then we fixed it and we kept moving. But the money that came in on that first launch made us very clear we were going to do a second. And between the first two, we were very clear we were going to add some more energy to the third, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's what iterations do. They allow you to get market feedback. They allow you to make another iteration of it. They allow you to invest where money's coming in versus investing all before any money comes in. 
Yeah. Right? You know, that's a really good point because I think that's where people get into trouble. It's like, I need $50,000, so I'll never get $50,000. Or you take your life savings yeah. and you pour it into a product that didn't help anybody. And next thing you know, yeah. your marriage is in trouble. Yeah. Because you just took your life savings and you threw it into yeah. something that... And the internet... Here's a theory I have, and I've never tested this with you. I always say the internet doesn't lie. Do you agree? Yes. What does that mean? Except Facebook. Oh, Facebook, Facebook lied. clearly lied. Yeah, okay. They lied. But um, but the I think what you mean and, and what I agree with is- Feedback. Market feedback is market feedback. There's mm. no way to sugarcoat it. If there's it. nobody listening to your messages, yeah. you probably need to improve your preaching. Well, we, we say it, right? You're not a leader if there's no one following. Correct. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, you can yeah. be like, well, I'm a leader and I'm a leader. No, you know what? I'm looking behind you. There's nobody there, right? Uh-huh. The way in which we know who leaders are is because we see where the crowds hang out. Mm. And we just go, look, right there, there's a leader. And they're like, oh, they don't have a leader title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't care what title they have. That's a leader because there's a crowd listening. That's a leader because people are being influenced. That's a leader. So how do you do it? You put it out there and you see, is there a market response? Is there feedback? Is there something that says, I love this, I want more? Yeah. You and I have probably each read books that we loved so much that we said, without reading the jacket cover, if that guy or gal writes another book, I'm buying it sight unseen. Automatic. Right? Yeah. I got, I got a handful of people. It's exactly. just whatever they do, I whatever buy. Whatever they do, I'm going to buy. Well, the truth is in today's world, you don't have to be a famous author to have that kind of audience. Yeah. I have people who will say, whatever you're doing, whatever event, whatever, uh, wherever you're speaking, wherever you're, you know, whatever conference you're running, just let me know I'm there. Hmm. Right. I don't care what the price is. I'm there. And you go, right. Okay. That's, that's feedback. I've also done things where I wrote, like I, I wrote a, a post about uh, a book I was going to write. Yeah. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about writing this book. I've written several ebooks and I was going to write this other ebook. And I said, uh, who wants it? Right. Just give me your email if you're interested and I'll, I'll email you back. Right. And at the time, I think it had 10,000 people who were on the email list. Right. Six people were interested. I did not write that ebook. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Right? Like I'm, I'm, you know, like clearly, out of this list of my audience, they were like, well, that's nice that you do that, but that's not interesting to me. Well, I used to have two podcasts and uh, the other one, you know, had a lot of downloads. I think it's still up there on the internet, but it has over a hundred thousand downloads, which is amazing. But when I was trying to decide whether to keep doing it, I looked at it and I thought, oh wait, that's two weeks on my other show. Right. So I, I took me 18 months to get to a hundred thousand or two weeks on this show, yeah. I'm like, it makes more sense for me rather than trying to manufacture energy. Yep. And, you know, there's no guarantee. Like everything, Michael Hyatt, and, you know, he's a friend, he's a super guy. Every, he'd be the first to tell you, everything he tries doesn't work. That's right. And so you kill the stuff that doesn't work and you throw more fuel behind the stuff that is connecting. I love having friends who are editors or film producers or mm-hmm. anyone like that because they have developed a capacity for chopping things up and throwing things away. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's an editor, so hard. An editor is really great at it. A film producer, post-production, any of those people, they have to make decisions all the time. And most of the effort they do is they take things away. They throw things away. They cut it off. And all the rest of us are like, this is so hard. And it's been a journey of more than 15 years of learning how to not get my emotions attached to what I produce, to just literally produce it. And when I hand it to someone else and I go, uh, here's an ebook I just wrote, or here's a white paper I just wrote, or here's a video I just recorded, here's right. whatever. And I say, do whatever you want with it. I'm, I'm not attached. 
right? Like I don't care. Like I just turned in something at work and they rewrote it completely. They wanted to go with a different audience and I didn't care at all, Hmm. right? Because you have to, you have to develop that discipline that says, Hey, once it's out, the harder job is not producing. The harder job is not creating. The harder job is editing. The harder job is taking things away, right? Um, Sincere, the word sincere was a artist term for sin, sin, S-I-N, meaning without, and seer meaning wax. And when they would make a bust, the difference between the bust that, you know, the nose would break off and then you'd put wax in and you'd stick the nose back on, or you'd break an ear off and then you'd put wax and put the ear back on. And only the sincerest art, right? The art that had no Ah. wax, that's what it means, right? Well, the, the truth is, it's very, very hard to create a perfect bust without without any wax, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and often we create these big monstrosities of things and someone else has to come in and go, nope, chop, chop, cut, cut, chop, chop, put a little wax, fix this, thing, and then go, here's what it is. And the internet does that for you. It, it gives does. you market research because- Real-time feedback. You're like, you've spent a hundred hours on this one thing and like three people <laughs> checked it out. And not all that is SEO optimization. Like at the yeah. end of the day, sometimes people just aren't interested. Yeah. Okay, a couple more questions, Chris. One of them is a lot of the leaders listening wear two hats. They wear a personal hat. I'm Chris Lemma, but you're also the VP of product development or whatever at uh, Liquid Web, right? I'm the CEO of my company and the founding pastor of our church. When you talk about an online platform, talk about, because I think the the instinct is, oh, I want to make the church do well, or I want to make the company do well. I want to get the company's names out there. Do people follow organizations or do people follow people? Like what is that tension and how do you manage that between being the senior leader and also having your voice and then an organizational voice? So the, the reality is what you want as best as possible is you want to have clear swim lanes that separate the two, But you also want to have really great alignment so that something that you do in one place benefits the other, right? Right. But that alignment is not always perfect. So for example, I work at a company called Liquid Web. We, I, I've designed several products for them. Um, but I, and one of the reasons they hired me was because I had a personal brand around certain things they wanted to do. So they said, we'll pay you good money to come over and do it over here under our brand and you go, okay, I'll do that. But then you get to a point where as a company, they decide they want to do, they want to go right. And Mm -hmm. you personally think you want to go left, right? Well, they don't own me, right? They rent me. So I may write on chrisnummer.com about going left and they may, I may write on their site about going right. And I may have to live in this, this challenge of the fact that there's not perfect alignment all the time, Hmm. right? But a lot of that comes down to having really important conversations with the people in the organization about the other swim lane. Like, I love that you love getting benefit from me, right? When mm. I write a blog post, it, and in the end, it sends traffic to Liquid Web. Or For when sure. I do something on Liquid, you know, on Twitter, it's going to have benefit to Liquid Web. It's also going to have benefit to my own brand. When I go speak at a conference, I speak and I get benefit for both. But every now and then, you're going to find that there's some place where there's a challenge and it's having those honest conversations, right? That mm. look, Liquid Web is not tattooed on my body. At some point, I will no longer be an employee here, right? One of the things I say to all my teams in all my companies, right, is th- there will be a last day. Like you or me, one of us will leave here. Like we're not, we're not indentured serv- <laughs> servants to this business. One of us will leave, and we still need to be okay with that, right? Yeah. So, so 
LiquidWeb doesn't have their logo plastered on my body. I'm still me. I carry my brand and my name. And so sometimes you just have to have a really healthy conversation that says, listen, and sometimes it's even financial in nature, mm -hmm. right? Like, so when I joined LiquidWeb, one of the things that happens, there's a, there's a network out there called Clarity, right? It's at clarity.fm, right? So clarity.fm is a network of people. It's just a big, big list, laundry list of marketplace of people. And any person who wants advice from entrepreneurs can go to clarity.fm, put in their credit card, find an entrepreneur and ask them for some time, right? Now for the longest time, I think I've dropped to like number four, but for the longest time I was the second or third most called person on that network. When I joined Liquid Web, I said, Hey, I just a heads up. I have this brand equity over here in this platform where I answer other entrepreneurs, their questions, yeah. leadership, team leadership, product development, I, pricing questions. I answer those questions over there and I'm well recognized over there. I'm not, I'm not turning that off. So if you want exclusivity where I can't do that, we're going to have to negotiate a different price point. And if you don't want to pay that price point, then we need to be clear on where the boundary lies, right? Um, so I do two to three calls a week. I try and do it off hours so it's not part of the day. But we had to have the conversation. Yeah. And sometimes you even have to have the financial part of it, right? Like, what what are you getting if you hire me? Or what what, what is part you of know, my role? I'm glad you raised that because I've got this new high-impact workplace course. And that is one of the issues that we navigate is you're hiring an asset that brings extra value to you. And that's a very different conversation than 30 years ago. And it's like, exactly. I am just buying your 40 hours a week, Mr. Lama. You don't have a life outside the company or your 60 hours a week, your 90 yeah. hours a week. I'm so glad you raised that. Yeah. That, that, I think that will become more and more the marketplace. It, it, moving it, it, forward. And it's the conversation you have to have. When I yeah. hire someone, yeah. the first question they have is, what about the things I do on the side? And I go, everyone's got a side. Hustle. And I go, it's great. I love that you do things on the side. It's where you experiment. It's where you try things. It's where you learn. And I would love for you to bring only the learning in and none of the mistakes. Right, 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 so right. go ahead. Like I love side hustles. However, you have a job. We have objectives. Make sure the main thing stays the main thing. Right. And they go, yeah, of course. And I go, great. Then we won't ever have a problem. Right. right. But they also got, you know, I, I'm the same way, right? I have things I do on the side. Yeah, you do all and, stuff and for people, the WordPress community. Yep, and, and people just go, okay. And it turns out at my job at LiquidWeb, it's all very WordPress and WooCommerce related. So they love it. Like if I even get invited to Mexico City to speak, which I did earlier this year, I'm invited because of Chris Lemma, not because of LiquidWeb. Right. But I'm up on stage wearing a LiquidWeb t-shirt and talking about the product that I designed at LiquidWeb. So of course they benefit but I'm also there. It's a beautiful Lama. synergy. Yeah. What What about uh, the senior leader who says, I don't want to be on social media? Mistake? Here's, here. it depends. If you are so unique in what you deliver of value, right? Red Adair was a guy who put out oil fires and some of the biggest oil fires in the world. He's the first guy who got a million dollar check just to put out an oil fire. Now, the thing about an oil fire is that it's so hot that you can't even get the hoses with foam to the fire, right? Like it, it would burn up the hose on the way and it, it, not big enough. The hose would have to be so big to get enough foam mm -hmm, on the spot mm -hmm. that it wouldn't work. So what he figured out was we're going to bring 20 guys from all 20 different directions and encircle it with smaller hoses that don't have to get as close and can carry less foam. And then we're going to turn them all on at the same time. And that's going to push into, I mean, there was a plume of oil fire, like shooting up in the sky a mile high. And he goes in and he solves it. And he goes, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, try hiring an amateur, hmm. right? 
You're like, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to pay me for, for doing this thing. If you are Red Adair and the world knows that you're the only guy who can put out oil fires and they don't mind paying an astronomical amount because they know your name and you're doing, you don't have to be anywhere. You don't have to be on social media. You can be a hermit in your house mm-hmm. and people will mm-hmm. call you and show up. They're going to the, find Red Adair. The rest of us are not Red Adair. Yeah, yeah. And for those leaders, I think you got to be online. Yeah. I think you can't get away from being online. If if you're the, you know, less than 1% of 1% of 1% in your field and industry and people know your name, they just, they rattle it off like, oh, you got that problem? Call this guy, right? Mm. Yeah, I think you can skip it. I think it. also being online, I'll test this out on you, is like, because you we follow each other on Instagram, but one of my favorite parts about Instagram, which is where I'm most personally active these days, is Insta stories. And yeah. I like do my backyard, I do the big green egg. I, cause that's kind of my life, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, I mow my lawn just like a lot of people do. And yep. although you mow your lawn better than most people well, mow thank their you. lawn. Thank right? you. I, mean, I appreciate that. You've been a good student. I can see <laughs> your vision is clear. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that humanizes you and yes. it's such an equalizer because yes. every time I meet people when I'm on the road, like I am right now with you, it's like, dude, your backyard or dude, uh, how was that brisket the other day? It's yep. the great humanizer. It is. And I think when you're trying to create a great workplace culture, your employees are asking, who are you really? Yep. Because I see, and hopefully that shows through in the office, but people want to know, oh, you're just, you're just like me. I can't tell you the number of people that have become clients of mine in one form or another because of a post I wrote either on my website or on Facebook about my wife. Hmm you know, you get, we all get to, yeah, Yeah. we get, we get to an anniversary and I write thoughts about my wife. My wife is amazing. So it's easy to write, but they come out and they go, look, you know, I know you know this and I know you know this. It's all about competency, right? I know all these competencies, but it was your character. When I read what you wrote about your wife, I thought, okay, that's someone I want to get into business with. Now I never wrote those posts for anyone but my wife. Of right? course. Yeah. I'm just writing it so that when she wakes up in the morning and she opens up her Facebook or whatever and she reads, she goes, Oh, my husband loves me. Uh, that's mm-hmm. it. That's I'm not writing for the rest of the world, but I write it in a public space because I think she's amazing. And then people go, That humanized you, right? You weren't just an expert in X, Y, or Z. You're also a real person and a person that I I would trust. And so now I want to do business with you. So yes, I think humanizing yourself on any of the social platforms, um, People know, I, I just went to my 30-year high school reunion. I, I saw that. I, I haven't that. gone to yeah. a reunion yet, right? This was the first one. Um, I just finished my conference in Cabo. I flew back home and I went straight up to Orange County and I went to my uh, 30-year reunion. And people that I barely spoke to in high school, right, would show up and be like, hey, buddy, did you bring us all a cigar? Right? Wow. And I'm like, hey, you know I smoke cigars. They're like, I love your cigar picks. It's also, now I know which are good cigars because I've been smoking some bad cigars, but I saw your stuff. <laughs> I know good cigars now. Leave it to Chris. Yeah, you right? know good cigars. And, and so, cigars. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's it's great. Like it, it makes a connection where there were people I hadn't seen in 30 years and they knew certain things about me. And I knew some about them. Like, hey, you have a house here and in Alabama. And every time it's football season- you're going out to Alabama, right? right? Like I right. know what you care about. So it's it's a fantastic way being online. You still have to decide how much you're sharing. Yeah, yeah. But being online allows you to become a whole person, not just a portion of a person. Advice for people who are like, wow, I'm so far behind the eight ball. I don't know where to start. What you, would you say? You just get started. Just get so started. So start, start wherever you're most comfortable. Um, I, I find that people who uh, are speakers, 
can shift over to writing faster than people who haven't spoken in, in front of audiences. That's true. You know? And so you're like, you, you, I meet a pastor who's like, I don't have a blog. And I'm like, you, you speak professionally. You write every right? single week. You, yeah. you write all the time. Just shift it over and let's start writing a blog, right? Um, people who are uh, communicators in, in, in some way, shape, or form in front of an audience also can get on video pretty, pretty comfortably. Right. But that may not be you at all. Right. Mm. If you're not, if you're not in front of an audience, if you're not, uh, standing in front of their talking, writing and video may be terrifying, but, uh, let's say you're behind the scenes person, but suddenly you're like, okay, you know what I do have, I have a, I, you know, I, I like to grill in my green egg or I like, I like, you know, bite, I cycle, right. Or, you know, any of these things that you do and you go, I'm just going to post some of this stuff and people start connecting and they start following. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and realize, more people know me. Yeah, or even if you run the soundboard, it's like yeah. you just start talking about your trade. Uh, right, right, about what you're up to. I have a buddy of mine who runs the the AV system at a church in, in uh, Houston. And when he takes pictures of that stuff, tons of other people are like, hey, you know how that Yamaha board works? Right, like That's like right. the Yamaha board from from like the top tier. And he's like, oh yeah, I know the guys at Yamaha. And I was just out in uh, Southern California working with the Yamaha guys on this new equipment. And then all of a sudden you start watching, right? The communication. And what he's done is he's taken a little corner in the AV for church world that now when someone else thinks about something else and says, oh, you need an AV guy in church, you should talk to my buddy Dion, mm. right? It's amazing the little corners we can take just by showcasing some of what we're up to. Well, Chris, it's never boring. Anything else you want to share? We have a new course that you're getting ready to launch. That's right. It's called uh, The High Impact Workplace. It's about attracting and keeping top talent. One of the things I know for a fact is that companies who have high performers in their organization struggle to keep them. Everybody keeps the lowest performers because we all struggle to fire people. Hmm. Everybody keeps mediocre people because we don't spend enough time paying attention in the middle, right? What we struggle to keep are the ones who vote with their feet. They don't like the organization. They don't have enough influence. We're we're boring them down with, uh, bogging them down with all sorts of, uh, expense report rules and vacation mm-hmm. approval rules. We cre- This is what companies do, right? They create rules for the best people based on the problems of the worst people. It's true. Right? And it's horrible because you can just fire the worst people and not create any new rules. But we don't because we're scared to fire people. So what happens is we end up creating a burdensome organization and a burdensome culture for high performers. And they vote with their feet. And by the time they voted, it's too late. No, and freedom and autonomy. I mean, this has been the (coughs) subcurrent under everything we're talking about. Freedom and autonomy are the new currency. And eight to four doesn't work anymore. You gotta be flexible. And a a lot of us are struggling to keep up. So that's what that course is about. Chris is the quiet architect behind a lot of the infrastructure behind that and a lot of the strategy. And I love that upcoming course. I uh, think that's that's fantastic. I'm pumped about it, man. I can't wait to Pretty share with folks. Pretty passionate about the content. Yeah. So yeah. we're just going to open it. Uh, I haven't got the timeline right in front of me, but it'll be November. I don't know when this interview is coming out. It's only going to be open for seven days. And we're closing it. We're going to bring it back in 2020. But if you're hearing this and you get a chance, jump in. Get well, it. Pricing is good. Get and it. then we're going to shut it down. And again, hey, guess what we're doing? We're experimenting. That's right. That's perfect. Never gets old. That's the right? way to do it. Uh, ChrisLemma.com, L-E-M-A.com. And are you Chris Lemma on all the profiles? I'm Chris Lemma on Twitter. Mm-hmm. On uh, LinkedIn, I think I'm Mr. Chris Lemma. And on YouTube, oh, yeah. I'm Mr. Chris Lemma. Those were early, early renditions. And so uh, those still have the Mr., but all the rest is just Chris Lemma. All right. Mr. Chris Lemma. Thank you. Thanks, my friend. Well, that was a great conversation with Chris. I love that we were able to have it in person and on his turf in San Diego. 
And if you want more, you can go to the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 304. And again, subscribers, thank you so much for subscribing. If you haven't yet, you're new to the show, just hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening because, um, well, you'll get all the future episodes for free. And we've got some killer ones like Carlos Whitaker, who's coming up next Tuesday. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation. And if you haven't yet checked out the offer from our partners, make sure you go to rightnowmedia.org forward slash carry, and you can get an entire library of just tens of thousands of professional videos, inspirational videos, personal growth videos from some amazing Bible teachers and leadership people. You can get that at rightnowmedia.org forward slash carry. And then what are you doing to build into families next year? Head on over to marriedpeople.org forward slash carry. There's some special promotions on for you right now. I promise you the families and especially the kids of the parents who are struggling in their marriage or just need a better marriage. My goodness, they will thank you so much. Marriedpeople.org forward slash carry. Well, uh, here's an excerpt from my conversation next episode with Carlos Whitaker. This is after I've, I've been like on tour. I'm leading worship at Elevation, doing all these things. And I fill out applications because I'm like, <laughs> I have to provide for my family. Barista. So so I filled out, Barista Carlos, I filled out the, a the Starbucks. The in aisle two. Yes. And that's then, yeah, exactly. So that's what I was thinking I'd gone to. And then day 13 and a half, I get an email in my box and it just said, the White House would like to, and I hit delete because I thought, oh, it's just spam. Like I subscribed to all the political yeah. emails and stuff. So I didn't even read it. And then 30 minutes later, my... um publicist like starts blowing my phone up. And after about seven missed calls, I was like, yes, what do you need? And uh, she's like, they know you deleted the email. I said, who knows? So the White House knows everything. She goes, go check. So I checked and it said, the White House would like to invite you to be the keynote speaker and give one song at the Easter prayer breakfast in the East Room of the White House, like in four days. So that's coming up next time on the podcast. And now to what is becoming one of my favorite moments, uh, the Ask Carrie questions. So if you've got a question, leave it for us on any social platform at hashtag Ask Carrie. And Jay wants to know, what are the most significant tensions that churches, or I would say even organizations, must navigate moving forward? So he lists a couple of examples, status quo versus strategic change, traction versus innovation, And I think you're onto something there, Jay. Uh, I've got three things that I wrote down. One is status quo. Two is the challenge of success. And third is the challenge of the horrible culture. And I will actually give you a free resource at the end of this that you can download on the horrible culture question. Okay, so status quo. That is one of the biggest problems you have. And that's true whether you're successful, whether you're stuck, whether you're in decline. The status quo is your enemy. And I really believe after two and a half decades of senior leadership that my job is to disrupt the status quo. Because here's what happens, all right? You go through a period of innovation, maybe you're in startup, you know, nothing set. But we are such predictors of normalcy that we never really realize the potential of what we can do. So think about it. Every time you get a new phone, maybe you get a new car and it's all, you know, it's got all the latest technology or whatever. You know what you try to do? This is what I try to do. And I'm a tech guy, okay? I try to normalize my operation of that vehicle as quickly as possible and or that that phone. And so what you try to do is you're like, wow, this is all new. I don't really understand it. And therefore, I'm going to try to learn all the hacks and tricks and, and just get this to functioning so I don't have to think about it 
within hours. And I always think that's a mistake with technology because here's what you do. You miss out on 98% of what that device can do or 98% of what potentially your car could do. Or, you know, you put some smart lights in your house and you're just like, no, I just, I learned the basics and I walked away. You left 90% on the table. We do that in our organizations too. So when I get a new device, I try to read the tutorials and then I try not to settle into a pattern for 10 days because I want to make sure that I'm getting the most out of that device. Same's true with organizations, all right? You're, you're launching a church, let's say, and you're like, how are we going to do services on Sunday? And so you say, well, we'll do some songs, we'll do a message, and soon, you know, you're at your creative meeting. It's not creative. You're just doing three songs and a message, three songs and a message. You're not thinking because the pressure to get to Sunday is so much. Same with your model of ministry. Same with any company. I mean, one of the favorite things I get to do in, in this is we're looking ahead to 2020, I've spent hours like with the team and solo thinking through, well, what can we do differently next year? Because otherwise, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do the same thing over and over again. And my job as a senior leader is to disrupt the status quo. Why? Because in the church, there's more people to reach. In what I'm doing these days, there's more leaders to serve. I mean, there's so much more you can do. And if you only do what you've always done, you'll only get what you've always got. So you got to disrupt the status quo. That's number one. Second tension is a tension with success. Let's say you're wildly successful. Let's say you're growing double digits, triple digits. It's like, great, 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 great. Problem with success is success makes you conservative. The greatest enemy of your future success is your current success. Because what happens is you're like, wow, this is working so great. I don't want to mess it up. And you that becomes your status quo. So success, on the one hand, people would say, don't touch a thing. I mean, don't even break it. Like you don't want to break it. And to some extent, that's true. You want to see what's working. You want to understand why it's working. But you have to realize that also has a shelf life. So what you want to be doing, if you're succeeding in what you're doing, if you're growing, if you're reaching people, if you're, you know, whatever, whatever your mission is, here's what you should do. You should start experimenting on the side. You should start to disrupt yourself before you get disrupted. Otherwise, you become Blockbuster. Otherwise, you become Toys R Us. Otherwise, you become Sears. And you really, you don't want to be Sears in the age of Amazon. So success, the greatest enemy of your future success is the current success. Third thing, shifting gears totally. So status quo, success, and then horrible culture. Horrible culture. You know what? So much of organizational culture these days is bad. And the Me Too movement has been a breath of fresh air because basically we put abuse on the table and said, no, it's not going to happen anymore. We just, we can't do it. And that's one thing to have a harassment-free culture. And I think that is amazing. But harassment-free does not mean engaging. Harassment-free does not mean exciting. And what happens to a lot of people, 70% of employees are disengaged at work. They're not disengaged because, you know, they fear for their safety or anything like that. They're disengaged because it's boring, because it's dysfunctional, because it's not inspiring, because there's no vision, because people are passive aggressive, because nobody has direct conversations. And uh, culture, each strategy for breakfast, you've heard that over and over again. You probably also heard that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. That's true. But I also think people don't quit jobs, they quit cultures. If your culture is really bad, then people aren't going to stick around. At least people who have options, which tend to be your most competent people, aren't going to stick around. So how do you solve that? So I've got a free download for you if you're interested head on over to thehighimpactworkplace.com, thehighimpactworkplace.com, 
Enter your email, join the waiting list for a new course that we're releasing in a few weeks. And I've got five questions that every good manager asks. If you start to ask these questions, two things will happen. Number one, I think you're going to see employee engagement go through the roof. I think you're going to see it improve. Second thing, you will be well on your way to improving the culture in your company. So those are the three challenges, the tensions I see with organizations moving forward. Number one, the status quo. Number two, success. Number three, a horrible culture. And if you head on over to thehighimpactworkplace.com, enter your email, you will actually get those questions and I hope they help you. Thanks so much for listening. We are back uh, next time with Carlos Whitaker. Subscribe, you get it for free and we'll see you then. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change and personal growth to help you lead like never before.